0: You're listening to the Restoration Church Podcast. We are a local congregation in Lexington, Kentucky, and we would love to see you join God's restoring work of love in your life. You can find out more about us at restorationlex.com slash welcome. There's helpful links about how you can grow, how you can serve, and be good news in our city. Thanks for listening. They were angry because a woman prayed publicly in church. They were biblically convinced that what had just happened in this service was an ungodly and unbiblical experience. And even as a 12 year old, this was sort of disorienting. I'd never seen anybody stand up and storm out of a church. Seen it plenty of times since. But at that point, I've not seen that happen. And I was jolted. Why was it? And I thought to myself, is God really that upset? That a woman would publicly pray? So I learned how this came about and why they came to believe this. And the denomination I grew up in didn't permit women to be in leadership in almost any capacity. That was disorienting for me because growing up, the people who were most influential in my life, for the most part in my faith, were women. My Sunday school teachers... My great-grandmother, who I stayed summers and afternoons with after school, was a saint, and I watched and learned and picked up by osmosis the depth of her ministry and faith. I was confused how we would not allow women to lead, but women seem to be leading, right? Almost everything besides officially. So, I, I, I was confused and found out over the years that in the New Testament, there are some passages that maybe you've read before that seem to suggest that the people who stood up and stormed out about this were right. We're going to look at those passages today and talk about how we work our way through them. So, first, 1 Timothy 2.12, Paul writes this, he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man, she must be quiet. Yikes. Elsewhere, St. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, women should remain silent in the churches. We've already messed that up today. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. These two verses in particular, they've caused a great deal of debate. There's other ones too. There's lots of drama about this in the church. For centuries, people have argued over this. But beyond the debates, beyond the opinions about whether this is biblically right or biblically wrong, there are women who have been ostracized. There are women who have been pushed out, left out, relegated to second-class citizenship in the church. Some of you women here today, I know, have experienced this. You have felt as if your giftings and your abilities and your talents were allowed to be in the room, but not allowed to be at the table. And you know there's a difference between being allowed to be in the room and truly having a place at the table. And then the question we have to wrestle with today is how do we handle passages like this? From day one in the church, our church at least, the church we've had women lead, pray, preach, serve in every area of leadership. We have had over the span of our time, women serve as elders in our church. So the question we have to ask, are we being unbiblical? Are we heretics? Are, 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 are we liberal or whatever were you what label that you want to call? I've been called all of these labels at some point or the other. Are we ignoring the Bible? Some would say so. What we need to briefly navigate here today is why we believe, as a church, that women are empowered by God for every area of leadership to lead, and and to understand that this is not just an opinion, this is not just us ignoring the scriptures. We come to this position because we believe it's biblical. Because we believe it's right there in the scriptures. And it begins with how you and I approach the Bible itself. First, we need to understand that none of us come to the Bible without influence. None of us come to the Bible as blank slates. We don't approach the scriptures in a, in a vacuum. No matter who we are, we read the Bible through the lens of our cultures, our experiences, our bias everything in between. When we read the scriptures, we're reading it through some sort of lens. So to approach the Bible, to approach the Bible as the word of God, we must be willing to see it as it is outside of ourselves, to recognize the lens through which we come to see it. And when we study the scriptures, I want to give us three questions that sort of form how we look at it together. The first one's this, what is The context. In other words, when we're looking at the passage of Scripture, what is the cultural background of this passage we're reading? What is the context of what's being written, and and why is it being said? For instance, imagine a thousand years from now, archaeologists find these letters written by us or are going through our emails, and they see this little phrase, go big blue. And a thousand years from now, they're thinking, what is wrong with these people? Is this some sort of cult that worships the color blue? And technically, they're probably right, yes, but they don't have the cultural context to know this statement seems strange unless you know it's a statement that is in support of UK basketball and football. So our context, understanding not just what's said, but in what context it is said, is where we begin. The second question is this, how does this line up with the whole counsel of scripture. For instance, some of these passages that we read, if you just read them in a vacuum, apart from the actual context that they were written, they have a whole different meaning. An example of this, one of the most often quoted scriptures, especially during sporting events, is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And what we have turned that into, apart from Paul's context, is... God can give me whatever I want, and if I work hard enough, all my wildest dreams will come true. But if you look at Philippians 4, where it's actually happening, Paul's saying, when I have nothing at all, when I am in poverty, or when I've had everything I need, I've learned contentment. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Context matters immensely. We have to see it within the whole text. Secondly in that, There's a difference between what is descriptive and what is prescriptive in the Bible. The Bible describes a lot of things that it does not prescribe. It tells us an honest picture of what broken people look like. It's describing something, but it doesn't mean it's prescribing. It's not saying just because it's in there, you're seeing this guy cut off his head that God says it's okay to cut people's head off, right? It's describing something, but it's not prescribing that. And that's only true because of the final question we have to look at this, and that how does this line up with the witness of Jesus? Jesus is the ultimate lens through which we now come to see and understand the scriptures. Jesus doesn't contradict scripture, but Jesus clarifies the scriptures because ultimately the reason why we study the scriptures themselves is to become like Jesus and not just know the Bible itself. In John 5, he confronts a group of people who know the Bible backwards and forwards, every single verse by heart. And he says, you search the scriptures in vain because you think that in them you will find life, but I'm standing right in front of you. I'm right here. You won't come to me, the God who the scriptures reveal for life. It's not just knowing the Bible or forming opinions about the Bible. It is how does this line up with the living witness of Jesus? So really quickly, Let's take those three questions and let's go back to our problematic verses and let's understand what this looks like. Look with me again on the screen. 1 Timothy 2, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. And 1 Corinthians 14, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak but must be in submission as the law says. What's our first question? What is the context. What is the context? Well, this is written in the Roman world, and the scholars have learned a lot about what was happening in the Roman world at the time. And one of the things that they have found in these communities where Paul is writing these letters was that women, as typically second-class citizens, were treated deeply unfairly by Rome. Now, for one thing, Rome, uh, uh, during this time period, They, uh, when when men died, usually the women would get the property, but they started passing laws that women couldn't even own property. And what developed out of this was sort of this resistance movement of women that became sort of a libertine, I'm going to disrupt everything sort of movement. They they call it, the scholars, the new Roman woman. And they threw off all of the cultural notions of decency and made this public spectacle of their freedom and brash behavior in response to being suppressed for so long. So one of the common tactics of this movement, according to scholar Scott McKnight, is they would snatch the podium away. They would come into situations where they had no authority over people and jump in and begin speaking and disrupting everything. This was common in that time. So McKnight and many other scholars believe that what Paul's actually addressing here is backed up by the Greek word in 1 Timothy 2 for assume authority. The word there in the greek is not authority it's domineering that makes a difference again context matters immensely in other words paul here in context is addressing a cultural problem of women in that community who step in and try to dominate everything and bring disorder to the community of faith that's the context that we're looking at now That changes how we see this passage alone. But let's ask that next question. How does this line up with the whole counsel of Scripture? Let's start in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament alone, there are women who lead and prophesy and proclaim the Word of God. Deborah alone, a woman named Deborah, just look her up in the book of Judges. Deborah, we got a a Deborah fan back there. Here we go. Deborah. was uh, but described by Scott McKnight, he describes her as sort of rolled in one, the president, the pope, and Rambo at the same time. <laughs> because she was the military leader, she was the spiritual leader, and she was the governmental leader of the people of God in the book of Judges. She was awesome. But the clearest way to understand what's happening in the whole of Scripture is not just the Old Testament and what women did there, but look in the New Testament. Look at Paul's own words. One of the clearest examples is in one chapter, Romans 16. It's usually a chapter we just kind of skip over because it's just Paul greeting a bunch of people. It's a bunch of Greek names that we can't pronounce, so we usually skip over it. But Romans 16 gives us a beautiful tiny picture of how Paul sees this a, as a whole. Romans 16:1 says, "I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Cenchreae." Phoebe, a deacon. A deacon is an authority position. Now, what we know about Phoebe beyond this is fascinating because Phoebe is the one we've learned that delivered the letter of Romans to the people in Rome. As a letter carrier in that time, Phoebe was not just the delivery person. She was the one charged by Paul to preach and interpret the book of Romans for all of these churches in Rome. Now, how equipped do you feel to preach the entire book of Romans right now? That is intimidating to even the greatest scholars. Paul trusts Phoebe to not only bring the letter of Romans to these people, but to preach it and to interpret it for each individual community. She's not just a messenger. She is a preacher. We see that here. Then, just six verses down, as he's continuing to greet people, Paul says, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Junia is a woman. And according to Paul, Junia was an apostle, which is, I'll remind you, the highest level of leadership in the church She was an apostle before Paul was. She was likely among the earliest followers of Jesus, leading in the church at the highest level of spiritual authority. Do you see why asking how this lines up with the whole of Scripture matters immensely? But finally, we have one more question. How does this line up with the witness of Jesus? Well, as you look at the Gospels, you see a pattern that Jesus always welcomes, honors, and protects and empowers women. This was a highly patriarchal society, and Jesus treated women drastically different than the leaders of his day. In his book, uh, Tell Her Story, Nije, Nije Gupta points this out. He says, in this radical patriarchal society that Jesus talked about women, he talked to women, he welcomed them into his ministry, he had deep conversations with women, he healed women he received their anointing and he invested in them the gospel witness of his resurrection Just think about this on easter morning as the tomb is rolled away who is the first person to proclaim the resurrection mary a woman jesus entrusts the greatest moment in human history to be proclaimed to a woman now there's so much more we could say. I, I I wish we had more time to get into this, but I hope this gives you in a picture as we process difficult passages like this to know why and how we believe that women not only can be but should be empowered in every single way in the church in leadership. We need to be aware as we come to the scriptures that we have cultural blinders. Maybe you wrestle with this today but I encourage you to question whether or not you wrestle with whether this is biblical or whether you wrestle with this being not in the traditional lens that you have found before. Maybe this is a cultural background, a traditional thing that you're holding on to that's not actually backed up by scripture. Sometimes our scriptural interpretations, we think, are just as authoritative as the Bible themselves. And we need to have the humility in Christ to know that we bring All sorts of experiences and lenses to the scripture every time we open it. It doesn't mean we can't understand it in full. It just means we need to know our limits and know that we come being influenced by what is around us. And as we see this whole picture, it's why we believe that it's not only right, but it is biblical for women to be empowered in every area of leadership. And not only this church, we believe it in every church. Now, last month we began a study here. It was an online study on Zoom uh, with several people here called The Making of Biblical Womanhood by Beth Allison Barr. You can see the study here on the screen. It's a book that explores the ways in which the church has historically relegated women to the margins based upon, not on the scriptures, but as she teaches in this book, based upon patriarchal, patriarchal cultures and traditions that are outside of the scriptures themselves. So this morning, instead of talking about women and just hearing from one you know, dude up here, Clearly, we should hear from some women, right? And so I wanted to invite up a couple of my favorite people, uh, our leaders here, Jessica and Briny. Would you come up here? We're going to interview them about their questions. Let's welcome them. (laughs) There we go. Jessica is our Director of Communications. Briny has volunteered in so many capacities in student ministry and everything else. I'm really glad you guys are, are a part of this and joining us today and um, tell us a little bit about the book that you guys just got done studying this past week and kind of what it means and what it's about.
1: Yeah, um, I actually read the, ba- the Making of Biblical Womanhood uh, two years ago. And when I read it, I was like, I really need to talk about this with people. But uh, it wasn't until this last month that I got the chance to do that. It is so fascinating to me. And Justin talked about quite a bit of this. But this was the first time I really heard someone lay out from a historical standpoint that the sort of things that people put on us as what women were allowed to do and not allowed to do were really more man-made rather than the, you know, than biblical in there. And she points out, it. she has a, she's a PhD in history and medieval history. And so, you know, she goes into some of that stuff, but she has a, chapter in there where the first sentence is a quote from one of her students saying, I hate Paul. And I was like, gosh, I identify with that. <laughs> and it was, be, you know, because he was always kind of used against us uh, women for all these things. And she goes through a whole facet of anything. I encourage you to read the book where she actually goes through First Corinthians 14 and goes through like the way things were stated um, in that time in teaching where she might have just been quoting what other people said when she said, hey, be silent in the church. And then he's like, whoa. Wait, you know this is what Jesus said. So I'm not. We're not going to go into all that right now. But I just really encourage you to read this book. And it was so great to be able to talk this through with some people this last month. Yeah.
2: So I actually read the book too um, two years ago, um, and I really didn't have anybody that I felt like I could process it with. Um, So this was a really great opportunity when I saw the notices up in here, the announcements for it, um, to be able to be part of a community um, within uh, restorations community, to be able to just read through again and discuss and, like, bounce ideas off of each other. Um, I think having those opportunities are so powerful. And um, we had a very dynamic group of people, um, mostly female, but we had actually a few males occasionally jump in um, and be a a part of it as well. And... um, So I think it really is a good opportunity, and I hope that others that were not able to participate in the group, um, that we could do things like this in the future, most definitely.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So both of you come from stories and backgrounds in the church uh, that impacted you as a woman, how you felt like your sense of belonging, your sense of calling in ministry. So talk to us a little about your experience in that and how that's impacted where you are today.
1: Absolutely. I grew up in, when I was a child, I went to a kind of traditional conservative background with through sixth grade and you know they kind of went with some of these things that we were talking about thankfully I had a mom and a lot of women in my family who were pretty feisty folks and just that I never internalized that as a child and then I didn't return back to regularly going to church until I was in college and you know if you've met me you know I get into things and kind of go, and I ended up getting myself in a position where I was leading a ministry we were doing with a thousand volunteers, and I was up on stage and allowed to train all of these volunteers on exactly what they were allowed to do. I was in charge of all these things. However, I could not pray over um, the church, you know, specifically, I was told that, and the pastor kind of said to me, hey, why don't you just do it while you're up there? And I was like, uh, no, he's like, I'll take care of it with the elders. And it's sort of that situation that Justin was talking about. I did not want to be the one, in, when, especially when I was training volunteers to do a very specific thing to take on that sort of role that might make some people um, stomp out. But um, it so it was, it, you know, I really kind of struggled with, some people are telling me, Man, this is sinful, but I don't really feel like it is. And um, so it, it was not until I kind of went on, throughout other situations that I learned that not all churches thought this and that I could kind of do what God had equipped me to do. And, um, it's, I've been really thankful for restoration in particular and other, some other churches I've gone to that have had that sort of thing, but not being able to pray when I could also woo, speak, There's authority. I know woo. what was really a really tricky thing. Cause it just, seems so arbitrary to me when I was allowed to do other things.
2: So um, I was born into the church, I mean, in the sense that my dad and my mom were already in full-time ministry before I arrived. <laughs> um, so that was part of part of life. My dad was a pastor. He went through seminary. My mom was um, involved in music ministry, all those kind of things, um, family of four girls, and I'm the oldest. Um, And I think the biggest thing that I can see from that, my parents both came from pretty traditional conservative backgrounds. Um, The churches that we were part were Christian church, but the conservative version of the Christian church. And um, my dad actually was raised in the Catholic church. So they had very conservative um, backgrounds that they came from. I will say though, my mom, her name's Deborah. So I think my grandma kind of threw that in there a little bit. Um, She did name her kids after people that she uh, respected and and, and valued from the Bible. So that was kind of cool. But anyways, I think I kind of have a little different take on this. Um, Being a preacher's kid, um, you kind of do have status in a church um, in a sense. Um, We were all girls, so I don't know what it would have been like if I had a brother in the mix, honestly. Um, But I do know that my parents, in a lot of ways, and particularly even as, you know, raising us as um, girls and young women, they actually wanted to change how things had gone generation after generation. They really did in a lot of different aspects. And so... Honestly, in my home, I never felt that there were a lot of rules put on us related to our gender, related to who we were supposed to be as women. And honestly, they never said there wasn't something that we couldn't do, right? Um, And one of the biggest things, and this is a little bit of a flip on this, my dad actually never really spoke to this, I would say, in the pulpit um, in any really shape or form. I mean, we're talking about late 70s, 80s, 90s. um, That wasn't really something that was being approached. But I do know, like, on Mother's Day, he let the guys have it <laughs> every year. <laughs> I mean, he was, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, and then, and then it was like, yeah, but you got to flip that. On Father's Day, you got to, you know, build up the guys, too. But, um, but I guess the biggest thing I can say is actually, who actually, um, I guess, empowered me and equipped me to be able to move forward as a woman and having the restrictions that society puts on me? was actually my dad. Um, one of the best things in the world that he did is that he listened. Um, he was very present with us, um, and that's four girls. Lots of talking. We're all big talkers. We all have very dominant personalities. The whole deal. But he really did. He listened to us. And if that's anything, I may be jumping ahead, Justin. But yeah. if that's anything that you know, I ask for those of you who have young women in your life is actually just to give them that time to be present with them. It yeah. uh, doesn't mean that it has to be hours on end, <laughs> um, but but just really listened and 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 really just. Basically, right in itself, just giving that time to you so you could really be able to, you know, and asking good questions and those type of things. And that was the most powerful thing I think I had growing up. And my dad passed away um, in November of 2019. Mm -hmm. And, yes, we sometimes have a rosy view of the people who are in our life. So it wasn't perfect. You know, he wasn't a perfect person. But he sure did represent a lot of what I um, see as Jesus um, he really he really truly did that um, for us girls and I guess he was one of the models for one of the original um, what girl dads I guess yeah. <laughs> I don't
0: know but anyways yeah, that's but, awesome yeah. so I mean you kind of answer a little bit of that there too but like for you all when did this your your view of women's roles and leadership in church begin to shift and change when did that change change for you guys
1: yeah, and One of the things we talked about in our group is how validating it was to read this book and hear, you know, like these things that I thought about myself are actually biblical and true. And so that was that was so helpful to me. Um, and at some point I went to a church uh, that had female elders and I was like, oh, my gosh, what they do? This is great. Can you tell me why you decided that? Because, of course, I went to them and asked them, like, hey, tell me. And they gave me like this book like basically that they had written out because I was not the first person to ask that most of them not as excited about it as I I was and it was a lot of these stories and you just realize how many things don't get preached on in churches that are trying very much to uphold this sort of complementarian hierarchical society and so I found it that, that for me, I like, it just ignited this in me of like, okay, great. I'm just not going back now, you know? (laughs) And it was, it was so, it, it was just such a really good thing to see a church who did that and was flourishing and, um, all of those things. So I was thankful for that. And then, you know, ending up here and, um, uh, being able to read books and see our elders do things that's, it's just, it just happens all over the place. So, um, that, that was sort of mine, having, starting with a church that did have women elders for a biblical reason. Yeah.
2: So, restoration's the first church where I've really seen women in leadership roles that I've been a part of, mm-hmm. um, in very major roles, like actually preaching, that type of thing. Um, I feel like that where things shifted for me was when I was about 11. I think that corresponds with puberty. Um, it's kind of a critical time in a lot of women's lives. Um, And I also started having all that ability for abstract reasoning and all that good stuff and started really like having that conflict within myself of like, well, wait a minute, this is how I experience God, how I experienced Jesus, and how I'm supposed to express myself and that type of thing. When I was littler, you know, I didn't have a filter. Like, most kids don't, right? So you just mm-hmm. do what you do. Um, but mm-hmm. starting to feel those those things that were kind of locking me in. So this is going to be a... And it wasn't in my home, but it was in church. It was at school. It was in just various capacities that I was seeing where there was limits. There was, there was a ceiling. There was a, a wall that has to be bro- broken through. And so I think, like... <sighs> It's, it's been a struggle, and it's so nice to be able to have some of that affirmed um, through someone who does, within the book, the author themselves, um, all the research that they've done and being able to look at that and knowing, I, don't, I can't say I was a big activist or anything like that, but always there's a little bit of a rebel right underneath uh-huh. there, you know, just a little bit that was like, okay, well, I'm going to question this or I'm going to do this, um, and I think um, I don't know, Like it's just, it's, it is exciting to be able to see women be able to break through that and to yeah. be able to share more in leadership. And also leadership is under behind the scenes as well. And I think that's incredibly important to think of too. Mm-hmm. All along the way, which you've referenced, everybody's, you know, been bringing that up, is that it does not always the person who's up here at the pulpit. There's also so many other ways that women probably have had restrictions placed on them, but also have powerful leadership.
0: It's almost never the person in the pulpit, let's be honest. (laughs) Usually, yeah, never mind. It's it's usually not. What what would you guys say are, you know, as you speak to this and kind of look forward now, kind of where you're at, what are some of the obstacles that we face, you know, not just necessarily here, but as a church as a whole in terms of empowering women for the church and in leadership?
1: Okay, this is going to brace yourselves if this is your thing. I think that the biggest problem we have is actually the clinching so tightly to biblical inerrancy. Um, So if you're not really familiar with that, you know, uh, she defines it in the book as really holding, and I'm paraphrasing her, but like believing that the Bible is literally true even in the areas of science and history. So I am not saying like, oh, gosh, we've got to, you know, throw the Bible out and it's not the word of God because it is, you know, this is biblical truth. But what happens when you hold so tightly to one framework and one interpretation is that when you start to pull on one little thread, like 1 Corinthians 14, you're afraid that the whole Bible falls apart. And then what do you do? And so people hold really, really tightly to these things and don't have any sort of freedom to look into well, what if I ask questions about this? What if that doesn't make sense to me? I don't know what to do with Phoebe, so I'm just not going to preach on her. You know, those sort of things are, um, I see as the biggest barrier, and I have been so thankful that, and and I've told probably, I don't know, maybe half of you, that when we started wanting to come to church here, I sent like 26, 30, I don't know, a whole (laughs) bunch of questions. And I was like, I want to know the answers to all of these things because I do not want to be surprised. So Justin answered every single one of them. But sometimes his answer was, I don't know, or I've changed my mind on that. Or if you ask our elders, there would be some disagreement among them on that. And that freedom to be able to know... Hey, I can't, I'm not big enough and smart enough to know exactly what God said in every single area is such a blessing in this congregation and in this setting. And I hope that you all have felt that too. And, you know, I'm not going to say that we're perfect because we're still made up of sinful humans, but this church and the other churches like us who allow that sort of freedom are the ones who are going to allow people to be able to flourish as the body of God. And um, I just, that's, I really think, you know, if you take on, it's just that fear of what happens when you ask questions that's really the biggest stumbling block.
2: So I would say um, a big stumbling block, I don't know if it's the biggest one to me, is complacency and comfort. So in the way that I, I see that is that A lot of the traditions, I don't think that everybody's out there in all the churches, the little churches that make up the big church, thinking, ooh, we're going to get those ladies. You know, like, we're going to do this. I think that it has been done, the same things have been done over and over and over and over again. And tradition does have its place, but at the same time, we need to evaluate our traditions, and we need to make sure that they really are truly reflecting how God wants to see the church and to see families and all the different pieces that are part of that. And I think there's cognitive dissonance in all of this, right? There's just this like push, push and pull and we're trying to figure things out. And I think that um, it's not comfortable, but I don't think Jesus ever called us to be comfortable all the time. And so when we do it together <laughs> versus by ourselves, <laughs> um, you know, I think that, that that's the key is to be willing to keep challenging, keep asking all the great questions mm-hmm. um, and, and keep doing that together. Um, that's how I saw it. Yeah.
0: So just to close here, what, what's your what's your prayer for the church for our church really as as we wrestle with this uh, and and hope to see women empowered in a deeper way here at the church?
1: Well, our group actually on Thursday took this question and we're like, what what would be our prayer? And we did pray over it. And you know, I apologize, ladies, if I miss some of the things here, but we talked a lot about the importance of hearing and celebrating the role of women in our lives and um, the. And in scripture and in history, um, you know, just just talking about those things and keeping them up and not just women, but also men and how so many people play roles in our lives. And we want to celebrate those so that we're not just always going from this moment and forward that there's so group, so many people in this great cloud of witnesses that go before us. Um, and we also pray you know that we're just going to keep doing things like this that like let's Mm -hmm. not stop with this book let's talk about Deborah and we we do have a member in our group who has been reading the um tell her story and she kept talking about that so now all of us want to read that and we want to maybe study oh it's it's Becca Jeffries it is Becca Jeffries um but you know like there are so many stories like this and why haven't we talked about them? And it would just be so great for us to do that. And our church already does a great job of empowering um, all kinds of people, depending on, you know, regardless of their backgrounds and um, those sort of things. But we just want to continue to do that and allow people to speak truth into one another and to celebrate what, you know, the the gifts that all of us were given, both men and women. Yeah,
2: yeah and we also talked about just the idea, and this might sound a little off, hopefully Jessica can clear me up if I'm not saying this right, but kind of the idea of cross-gender partnerships and friendships. Um, I know that maybe seems, a, what, what now? <laughs> but but really, we all bring things to the table as the body of Christ um, and male, female, you know, all of that. Um, and so I think like recognizing that we're all in this journey together so I mean we have been focusing on women but just being able to have those those kind of connections I think are important and the other piece too that I think is incredibly important and that some of this comes from involvement with the children's ministry and um, and and with our students is that we really do need to model really healthy relationships as much as we possibly can. And I know that that <laughs> is not easy, but also too, not only modeling healthy relationships, but when things are not going well, that we're actually saying, hey, we're praying yep. through this, we're working through this, you know, that kind of thing. And so the next generation, because I think about my parents, they equipped us with things that their generation didn't have related to gender, related to being a female and that type of thing within the church. And I think that that's what we had to do, is you know, equip the next generation and think towards that as well
0: great. Well, uh, just to close this morning, um, a couple of quick notes like, that I would want to say, because I know this maybe is uncomfortable for, for somebody, maybe, maybe not everybody here, but maybe someone listening on the live stream or, or, or listening to the podcast. Um, a couple of things that I would just encourage you first is to the men. Um, to empower women is not to disempower men. And we have to stop making this an either-or of if we empower women, that means there's a vacuum and we lose out. The Holy Spirit is not a spirit of scarcity. And when we empower women, men are likewise empowered in this as well. And we see this worldwide. Listen, if you go outside of the United States, for the most part where the church is thriving, women are leading at an incredible capacity in South America, Africa, Asia. Everywhere outside of the United States, women have a vital, huge role, and and really, this is a debate that's kind of only here, which tells you something. And secondly, I would say, one of the things, just to confess to you, that I struggled with for the longest time was, I was afraid what I would be labeled if I said this. And so, my biggest fear growing up was, I don't want people to think I am liberal. And we've even used these labels like conservative and and, and liberal or whatnot or progressive. And and let let me just say, I hope this is for a lot of things. Don't let political labels define what is happening in the church. There is nothing more divisive and dangerous than when we allow labels that come from partisan bad actors on the outside to define what is in here. And I say that knowing, too, that there are... Family members and other churches that don't agree with us on this, they are not, Ew, they are family, and we love them in this. And the way that minds are changed aren't from pushing people away and calling them heretics, it's from welcoming them in and seeing women empowered and watching God work in powerful ways through women. That's how minds and hearts change. And so I implore you, don't let categories that have been defined by people outside they're just concerned with dividing define what is real, good, perfect, and true. We're seeking not to be progressive or to be conservative. We're trying our hardest to be Christ-like. That's what we're aiming at in all things, not just in this issue. And I just want to close with Paul's words as Hannah comes. Galatians 3, 28. St. Paul that wrote those words early he says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The gospel does not erase our differences as men and women, but it places us as equal footing at the foot of the cross. It gives us equal access, equal empowerment in Christ. And so I want both men and women this morning to really step into this spirit-empowered possibility of what God might be calling you to as you see your calling here in the church. It's not just the people who sit up here on the stage and talk and sing. and It's the people of God in these seats who are gifted and empowered right where you are for the ministry of the church. So I want to pray for us as we move into a time of response. Lord, thank you this morning for the not only the witness, the story of these two awesome women here, Lord, but that we have countless nameless and faceless women who in churches across our city and across our world have been serving and and giving their lives over for the kingdom of God for generations that we're not starting anything new, Lord. You've been working in and through the lives of empowered women for uh, since the beginning. And so I pray for our church, Lord, that you would empower us you would pour out your spirit on your sons and your daughters, that, Lord, you would give us opportunities to work together in that empowerment to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven here. Thank you for what you're going to do for both the men and the women here in our church as they lead out in their calling in Christ. We pray this in your name.